Hi, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Today, we've got two books that examine the mysterious way power works in China. In a bit, we'll hear from Desmond Shum, a former Chinese businessman whose ex-wife suddenly disappeared in 2017. And just as he was about to publish a book detailing his view of Chinese wealth, power, and corruption, she reappeared, asking him not to publish the book. But first, if you watched the Winter Games at all last month, there was sort of a shadow over everything, over China's incarceration of more than a million Uyghur Muslims stuck in forced labor camps. Gulbahar Haithiwaji is one of the few who've been able to tell her story. She recently published a book titled How I Survived a Chinese Re-Education Camp, and she told NPR Scott Simon that the worst part of it all was not knowing when it would end. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead, Shipwreck, Treachery, and Survival at the Edge of the World by Eric J. Dolan, the true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812, available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. China's been accused of genocide by some governments and many human rights groups. China denies those accusations and says those camps are necessary counterterrorism measures. While much of the world may turn away, Gulbahar Hatuwaji has written a scorching memoir as one of the few people who've been able to tell their story. Her book, How I Survived a Chinese Re-Education Camp, A Uyghur Woman's Story, written with Rosen Morgat of Le Figaro and translated by Edward Gauvin, and Gulbahar Hatuwaji and her daughter, Gulamar, who will be translating, join us now from Paris. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, merci. Thank you. You were living in exile in Paris when you were told you had to get back to China. Why? I was uh, been living in France for 10 years at that time when a colleague in uh, Karama in uh, Xinjiang called me um, on uh, WeChat uh, and told me to go back to China to make my uh, administrative um, papers for anticipated retirement. Um, as I never had any political activity in France, uh, and I also returned to China several times before. I had no doubts about uh, this uh, special uh, request. Mm. You got called in for questions and they showed you photos of your daughter, didn't they? Uh, 10 minutes after I arrived to the company, uh, three policemen came from uh, the police station and take me to to there. And uh, I had a full day of interrogation there. They showed me a picture of my daughter at the demonstration for the rights of uh, East Turkestan in Paris, uh, which I was not aware of. Gulmar, let me ask you, that was a picture of you at a demonstration in Paris, right? Yes, definitely. I uh, I still remember that was really a moving uh, uh, day. Boy, but then to find out it was used against your mother must have been hard. Yes, it was really hard and surprising for me. And I never expected China to do that. Um, look, there is no, um, Gulbahar, there is no easy way to ask this question. But what um, 
What were conditions like in that first prison you were in? Before they took me to that um, prison, uh, they took me to the hospital of the city uh, to take some fingerprints. They also take um, blood uh, samples. After that, they forced me to sign an official accusation of uh, public disorder in uh, in the reunion. Uh, that was the official name of the accusation. And they gave me their yellow uniform, uh, which is uh, the prison uniform. And they put me to a cell, uh, really small, but we were up to uh, 40 women there. Normally, uh, the cell is uh, made for nine people only. And all day, we spend learning by heart the internal rules of the cell. And they also attach us uh, to a metallic chair during all the interrogation. The food is terrible. We we only have some uh, uh, rice uh, soup or uh, vegetable soup. The worst part was uh, when I was attached to the bed uh, during 20 days without any reason. You were sent to a re-education camp. What was daily life like there? There was not a big difference uh, in the camps um, compared to the prison I, I've been uh, just before. Uh, the, the only big difference for me was uh, we don't have any chain on our foot, um, but we have to stay 11 hours every day in class before starting to eat or uh, when the teacher comes in the class, we have to uh, get up and uh, and say really loud uh, three gratitudes um, to the country, to the Communist Party, and to Xi Jinping. And after a while, they gave to all of us a personal notebook and asked us to uh, note everything or our true feelings, but we all knew that it was a trap. We only noted our thanks and our gratitude to the system. We can speak in uh, Uyghur and we cannot look at each other. We are always uh, in line uh, like robots. Were you worried about your survival? The worst part that journey um, was not knowing uh, when it will end. That was a really um, desperate uh, feeling. After two years, you um, you got a trial. How long did your trial last? It lasted not more uh, than 10 minutes. What was your sentence? Uh, China, my husband, um, is a member of Uyghur Association, uh, including World Uyghur Congress. My daughter had political activities, as a Chinese woman, I had to report all my family members' activities to China. As I didn't do it, it was like I supported the, their activities. You were released after three years. You endured terrible crimes. But may I ask, do you think of yourself as one of the lucky ones? Uh, Millions of uh, our people are still suffering in the camps and they are not free at all. And uh, compared to them, I feel really lucky. You went through such terrible experiences, hours of interrogation, hard work. 
What kept you going? Uh, I think the first thing that saved me from the camps is my faith in God. For me, um, God never wants anybody to suffer because of unfairness. And the second thing is I always kept believing that I'm innocent. And one day or another one, I will get out of the camp. What do you think about the Olympics being in China? For me, China doesn't deserve at all to host such important international events. They are committing crimes against humanity, including genocide against my people. So uh, for me now, every participating country to the games is like supporting the genocide. What do you want the world to do? I ask all the Western countries to unite together against China by boycotting the forced label products um, that would put a really big economical pressure on China. Not only uh, diplomatic, we, we also need economical pressure on China to make them realize that maybe they have to close the camps. Gulabarha Tuwaji, her new memoir, How I Survived a Chinese Re-Education Camp, a Uyghur woman's story. Uh, she's joined us along with her daughter, Gulamar. Thank you both very much for being with us. Thank you. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Desmond Shun and his ex-wife were wealthy. We're talking billionaires here and well-connected in China. But that wasn't enough to prevent her from disappearing and then reappearing only as Desmond was set to publish a book detailing corruption among the elites in China. In this interview, he tells NPR Steve Inseep that he's certain she was taken and imprisoned by the Chinese government, though they've never admitted it. And even though they talked and she's still alive, he says he feels like he's negotiating with her kidnapper. A Chinese business person who was missing for years has abruptly reappeared. Whitney Duan was connected to the wife of a powerful Chinese official. She and her husband, now ex-husband, involved themselves in numerous businesses using their connections, and they rose, as China did, until Whitney vanished in 2017. There was no word from any legal authority about an arrest. Her ex-husband, Desmond Shum, is safely outside China and finally wrote a book about Whitney. It was receiving advanced publicity, and just as the book was about to be published... Whitney Dwan reappeared. Desmond Shum is on the line to tell us about this. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. How did you hear from your ex-wife? She reached out. Uh, she called my phone. She called my phone and uh, early in the morning. Um, and and I, I, I heard her voice for the first time ever in the last four years. And what did she say? She's... Uh, 
she said she's on temporary lease, and they can take her back anytime. And and she want me to cancel the book publication. She wanted you to cancel the book publication. Yes, that's uh, that's uh, and then but it's it's you know one of the very best thing. I mean, really, really, really the best thing is our you know our son get to talk to her, and then we we get to know she's actually alive. You you have a son. We should note who is twelve years old. Is that right? Yeah, he's he's twelve now, and then he he hasn't you know had a chance to talk to his mom since he was eight. You know, it's 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 just a very strange thing. And you have not had a word from her. She could have been dead for all you know. Nobody has a word for 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 the last four years. Uh, the government uh, never acknowledged they have taken her. They never charge her. Actually, it's funny. It's a, well, if that's the word, such a word as a funny. I asked her what is her charge. She said she said it need to be confidential. She cannot disclose what her charge is. So it seems certain to you that she really was in the custody of the Chinese government, which has still made no official statement. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and she acknowledged that. She said she said you know they they it's they have been lenient on her. I, I believe she's still under home attention, detention. She's not really free, you know. And then, I mean, she's talking to me through them. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm essentially negotiating with a kidnapper. Well, let's talk about that negotiation. You had this book. You'd recorded an interview with us that we were preparing to play on this very program this very day. And it was a book not only about your ex-wife's disappearance, but about corruption in China, about the way the Chinese business system works. You told me that your ex-wife got on the phone and said you need to cancel the publication of the book. Is that even possible at this late date? I don't think it's possible, and I have no intention whatsoever. I mean, but I know bureaucrats in Beijing probably, you know, don't know that. <laughs> they think it probably I can pull it in the last minute. And then she gave me a second call after that. Yeah. Oh, the, you, she gave you a second call. Go on, go on. Yeah, she gave me a second call um, after the first one, um, you know, come to no result. And then the last one was uh, more threatening, so more threats on this one. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, you understand the threat to be that if you don't find some way to cancel the book, your wife will go back into custody? That's being one of them, because she's, you know, she told us uh, she is a temporary release, and then they can take her back anytime. And then she actually tell, you know, sort of, she asked me the question, what would happen to, to our son if something unfortunate happened to me. She asked the question, how would I feel if something happened to our son? And, and she used sort of the, the cold slogan, you know, in China, they have this slogan, so the ones who oppose the, the, the state will see no good ending. You understood that to mean that terrible things will happen to her. Yeah, she 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 is she is. Uh, I believe she's not free. She's just on, under home attention. Uh, uh, you know, they just ship her from the from the black cell and now to home detention. Because she said she you know the first thing she did she was uh, she called her father. That's you know I, I thought at the time I thought was that's really strange. They live in the same building. If you're free, why didn't you just walk over and go see your father. Mm. 
obviously, you know, look at the development in the last 24 hours, I, I can understand why. I think you. it sounds like you're saying you don't know that she's really free. You only know that she is alive. She's not free. She's, 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 she's probably under home detention. Somebody is listening on our calls and telling her what to say. That's what I would say. Book publication is tomorrow? Yeah, the, public, the book comes out tomorrow. And um, she should warn me. She said, you know, be calm. Don't publish the book. It would, no, you know, it would, it would bring more harm. It's no, no good to slander the states. I was like, no, I'm very calm. I work on this book over three, four years now. And it took me, I worked, and then I didn't even, you know, intend to publish when I first started the book. I decided to publish the book because I said, well, the world needs to know more about what China it really is and how things in, really work. In a sentence or two, do you believe that the best course for her safety is, in fact, to continue to speak out? I think that's definitely the best course because after the news broke, the book coming out uh, imminently, she reappeared after four years. Desmond Shum, thank you for the update. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's very much appreciated. And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookofthedaday at npr.org. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Kelly Wessinger and edited by Megan Sullivan and Taylor Burney. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Milton Guevara, Denise Couture, Isabella Gomez, Melissa Gray, Candice Wang, Ed McNulty, Andrew Shu, Renita Jablonski, Hafsa Fatima, Dee Parvaz, Avery Keatley, and Rena Advani. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.